everybody doing? Good. Okay. Good. I'm two really happy people in this church today. That's awesome. Okay, so I'm so glad to be up here, guys. It has been over a year since I've had the opportunity to preach. It has been a long time. Uh, when COVID hit, Rob and I told Dave, you need to be the voice. You need to be the guy right now because we're going through a crazy time. People need to hear the preacher. And then in the midst of that, somehow I had to learn how to do live streaming. I had to learn how to use cameras and set up a camera setup, uh, get a service online, and it not sound like a cable access station. And I had to, it was just all this crazy stuff I'd never done before. And so over the last year, I've just kind of told Dave, don't ask me to preach because I have no idea what I'm doing. I am completely lost. This is just all new for me. And so uh, it is good to be up here preaching with you guys today. Um, and I've definitely missed it. I've definitely missed it. Um, also, for everyone who's online, it is good to have you here with us this morning as well. Um, this weekend, Dave and Rachel Kibler, as you heard in Donovan's video at the beginning, are celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. So yeah, so they are staying in some cabin out in some remote location where they're just enjoying spending time together. And if I know them, they're probably online right now, so happy anniversary, guys. We're so glad that you're on here with us. Um, I know we miss having them here in person, but we're so thankful for the testimony that their marriage is for so many of us. Um, this past weekend on Friday night, I got the opportunity to take my little girl Ellie out camping. I'm going to show you some pictures of this up here. Um, isn't she cute? I mean, come on. Uh, we got to, uh, it was her first time camping. And so we got a tent, we went out to the Maggard's farm, and we had a fantastic time. Um, I know that these days are limited. She's, she's young, but these days of her being this young little girl are limited, and I need to invest my time in her so that she becomes an amazing, God-fearing woman that can take on the world. Investing in our children is so important. And speaking of investing, I've never been someone who plays the stock market. Do we have anybody in here that just terrifies them, the idea of dealing with stocks and bonds and stuff like that? Because I know for me, that's what it was. It was this terrifying concept, a foreign concept that I was intimidated of, of putting my money into. I'd heard horror stories of people losing everything, everything because of a bad investment. So terror had always kind of been associated with stocks for me. But a few years ago, I saw that Apple stocks had dropped, like bottomed out and gotten down to around $100 a share, which for, at that time for Apple was really low. And I'd always been told when trusted stocks that have just always grown over time bottom out out of nowhere to go ahead and invest in them because eventually they grow, right? So I did that. I invested $500 because I'm a massive big spender. And, uh, but I will say this. I, I didn't know what to expect. I was actually really nervous because at the time, Rhea and I had only been married a few months, and I was kind of like, $500 is a lot of money but went ahead and invested it. And a few years later, that stock has now turned into about $2,200. So I think it was a good investment. <laughs> now recently, I decided to invest in cryptocurrency, and that has not gone well. Whew, I have lost almost half of what I invested in that. Um, again, didn't invest a ton, but uh, I think Apple's better. Um, I definitely prefer my Apple stock to my crypto stock. Um, investing can just be a scary thing. Investing in general, uh, it can be scary because they're wildly unpredictable. 
But whether we believe it or not, our lives are all about investments. Investments in our family, our jobs, and our faith. If we want a return on our investments, then we really have to invest. If we want a strong marriage, we have to invest time. If we want uh, to get that promotion at work, we have to invest our hard work in that. If we want our children to grow and mature into God-fearing adults, we need to invest ourselves into them. Life is all about investments. And today, I want to talk about the one investment that will always leave you completely broken, and that's pride. See, pride has the ability to ruin your marriage, decimate your career, and send your children down a path of destruction. Pride is a cancer that can get into the smallest part of your being and leave you there wondering, what have I done? That's why today's main thing is investing in pride will always leave you broke. This whole series has been entitled Seven, all about the seven deadly sins. And there's a reason why this one, why pride is the very last one. If you take a look at all six of the sins that we've talked about up to this point, you'll notice that pride is at the very center of every single one of them. Lust. I can be with anyone I want because I've earned that right. Sloth. Others can do the work for me. I shouldn't have to extend myself. Greed says, I deserve everything I want. My happiness comes first. Wrath says, I will not rest until others pay for the wrongs done to me. Gluttony says, I want and I need it all, and I'm entitled to it. And envy says, no one should have more of anything or anything better than I do. See, at the center of every one of these sins is pride. So let's take a big picture look at pride. How does it work? How do we cure it? Why is pride so dangerous? And what can we do to avoid this danger? So I want to start off by asking the question, what does pride affect? See, I believe that there are two main things that pride affects in our lives. And it's kind of simple, really, but it hits at our core. They're kind of big things. And the very first one is decision-making. Proverbs 16, 18 through 20 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts the Lord. Pride deals with one thing, one thing only, and that's self. What self wants, self gets. What self does is better than anyone else. And what self thinks is always right. Pride takes away reality and replaces it with a haughty self-position that, unless tempered, turns a person into a megalomaniacal, self-absorbed prima donna that can't see past their own nose. Do we know people like that? Do we know people like that? Are we that person? See, pride has no room for self-reflection. It doesn't have room for discipline or correction. Pride is the ultimate failure of the Christian. Because when you allow yourself and your, op your opinions to rank up there with God himself, you start making decision decisions from a very dangerous place. 
Psalm, one, Psalm 10, 2 through 4 says, In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and he reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And I want to focus on that last phrase. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. When there's no room for God, it's almost always because we filled that room with ourselves. You make decisions based on how to get ahead. With no thought to others and how that could, they could be hurt, uh, the peril of others is actually an afterthought at this point. And your own prosperity is suddenly an idol to itself that you keep on a shelf. The worship of your greatness clouds everything you decide to do, from the clothes you wear to the car you drive to the house you live in and even the spouse you marry. All of them have to be on your level for they aren't worth a second thought. When pride rules, every decision made is clouded with an inflated version of self. The second thing that I believe pride really affects is the lens that you see the world through. How do you view others? Do you look down on other people? In Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus is talking uh, to people who are really confident about their righteousness. He's talking to people who really thought highly of themselves, and he tells a parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God. I love this prayer, by the way, because this is the most ridiculous thing in the world, okay? I just, want, I just want to say that before we read this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. I'm sure God is in heaven going, wow. Way to go. But then he goes on and he says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, to inflate the view of yourself is to deflate your view of others. This turns you into what I like to call a hairy nostril. I know you're going, what in the, huh? Follow me on this. When, you see, when somebody sticks their nose that high up in the air, you can't look them in the eye. And all you see is hairy nostrils. They aren't attractive. It's kind of a put-off. Nobody likes to look up somebody's nose. People don't like talking to people who see themselves as better, am I right? However, this may be the pro- biggest problem with pride, and that's ego. Ego. See, when we see ourselves as better, we won't spend time with those who, like I said earlier, aren't on our level. As musicians, we won't play with the people who can't keep up, even though, if we're really honest, there was a time when we couldn't keep up either. 
with our education, we look down on people who only have a GED or went to a dreaded trade school uh, instead of college. Uh, Democrats look down on Republicans as uneducated and backwards, and Republicans look, see Democrats as the ruin of all morality. Much of the world today sees Christianity as a group of people who haven't progressed and aren't woke enough to see how the world operates now. Unfortunately, we Christians have a problem with this too. I've seen it over the years. People saying things like, I serve in this many ministries, or uh, I faithfully tithe, or I've read the entire Bible three times. You know, we see people who are younger in the faith as weak, slacking. If there's something we're passionate about, like a ministry or a cause, a social movement, and others don't get as worked up as we do, we begin calling them out as unfaithful or turning a blind eye to God. Now, this thing right here could be a sermon all by itself, and I could definitely jump on a rather large soapbox right now, and I'm really going to fight the temptation to do that right now. But I will, and I'm, I'm going to try really hard. But just because it's your passion, and I want you to hear this, if you just ignore me the rest of the sermon, fine, but hear this, please. Just because you are passionate about something, that doesn't mean it will be everybody else's passion. Okay? It won't be everybody else's passion. I was confronted by somebody who was working in an organization uh, that basically said, if you aren't for us, you're against us. So here's the problem with that. If every organization has that mindset, or every ministry in the church has that mindset, we'd basically be at war among our people. Five years ago, this past week actually, I returned from Tanzania, Africa after helping raise over $115,000 for the world water crisis. Millions die every year, mostly due to a lack of healthy water, sanitation, and proper hygiene, and most of those people are children. However, I think we should also care about foster care and adopting. I think we should care about single moms. I think we should care about mission fields all across the world and personal evangelism. See, there's about a thousand more things that probably come to mind that I could share that I think we should care about. And they're all important. Pride says, however, my ministry is the most important ministry and anyone who disagrees with me is not following God's will. Come on now. This is real, too. I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I've had conversations with people in this church and other churches where people left the church because we weren't as passionate as they were about their cause. Now, understand, I think passion is awesome. I think passion is necessary in the church. However, I think we need passion with understanding. Passion with understanding. Can you guys just say that with me real quick? Passion with understanding because can you write that down? I'm really serious about it because like this is something I get really hyped up about because I hate seeing people get upset because nobody's I hear it all the time. People say, you know, we're doing this thing and nobody wants to do it. It's like, well, that's okay. You're doing it. Keep doing it. But people really get upset. See, pride says my ministry is the most important ministry. However, it's my belief 
that we should have a passion for our ministry, understanding that others have a passion for theirs. One person may be passionate about foster care and adoption, while another may have a passion for kids dealing with cancer in Honduras, while another could be passionate about teaching the people of Haiti how to stop depending on Americans for their needs, start caring for themselves, and learn to love Jesus. And I know that because in this church, those ministries exist. People are doing those ministries here at Catalyst, as well as a number of others. Long story short, don't be a hairy nostril. Don't. Turn that nose down and start looking people in the eye as equals. Don't allow yourself to become so pious in what you think is right, that if people don't want to do what you want to do, there's something wrong with them. Romans 2, 9 through 11 says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. If we are to be more like God, we have to see the world through a different lens, and not the lens of pride. Not the lens of pride. The King James Version actually says, God is no respecter of persons. At no point should we ever look down on another human being for any reason, especially as Christians. See, I believe there are four areas where this hits us the most. And the first of those areas is our work. Can we take instruction? Are we willing to do the menial jobs from time to time, instead of seeing ourselves as too good for that? Do we need to have that big company car? Do we expect exorbitantly more than we need when it comes to pay? When we manage, are we showing grace, or do we crack down hard, leaving little room for love? Do we look down on those who work under our pay grade, and do we envy those who work above our pay grade? Pride will always work to bring up issues in the workplace, to make us look better. And it will affect the way we work and we carry ourselves. The next area is money. This is where keeping up with the Joneses comes in. This becomes a real issue. See, we want to have that status house or that car. We want to make sure our kids are wearing the right clothes. We want to be seen eating at the right restaurants. We even make sure we post those pics on social media. We want to make sure people on Instagram and Facebook see that we're eating at the right restaurants. Uh, Ten years ago, if you would have told me people living in, in mobile homes and trailers where they can barely afford rent and have no car, would pay 50 plus dollars a month for internet and have a thousand dollar phone, I'd have thought you were stupid. But here we are today, there are kids wearing $200 shoes, driving brand new cars, and talking on their $1,000 iPhones while their parents are scraping to get by. Because parents just don't want to look like they can't provide for their kids. Guys, image has become way too important. Way too important. Uh, a few years ago, I was working at a church, and the senior minister bought a used car. It was new for him, but it was a used car. And uh, about a few months before that, the, the worship minister had bought a new car. And uh, so they, these, these guys had a new car. Well, one of the other ministers on staff saw that they had new cars and decided that they wanted to get one as well. Because everybody was getting new cars. At least she thought they were new cars. 
bought a car, drove it to work, and everybody's talking about their cars that they got. When she talked to the senior minister, and the senior minister said, actually, this car's like 10 years old. I paid for it with cash. Her jaw dropped. She didn't want to be the one person on staff who didn't have a new car, so she went out and spent thousands of dollars and put herself in debt so that she could keep up an image when she didn't realize that there was no image to keep up. You don't need to live up to the stupid, and I mean stupid, I intend to use that word, the stupid expectations that people have on material wealth. It's all fleeting, all of it, and you can't take it with you when you go. Don't allow your pride to put you in the poorhouse. Up next is a huge one, and it's been, this has been attacked over the last year, and that's marriages and families. You want to see a marriage in disaster mode? Just find a couple where both or either spouse is too proud to say, I was wrong or I'm sorry. Stubbornness is another byproduct of pride. Stubbornness says, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can say that's going to change that. And I'm just going to tell you, that's absolute pure evil. Absolute pure evil, because it will eat through your marriage like a cancer and will devour it from the inside out. It'll start out small, a little disagreement over something, and it'll grow ever so slowly, almost without notice, until it's gotten so far you don't remember life without it, and you don't want it in your life anymore. See, guys, marriage is a give and take, but pride is only about take. Here's another dangerous statement I've heard in marriages. If you ever said this, find me later so I can hit you upside the head. I'm the one making the money. I'll decide where it will go. Okay, bucko. That's no good. That's no good. That's just dumb. Marriage is a combining of two lives into one. They aren't mutually exclusive anymore. It's not like you get to have this and you get to have this. No, it's... It's ours. We're together. This is a marriage. Just because you make more money doesn't mean that you have the upper hand in the relationship. Just because you came into the marriage with more doesn't mean you get an upper hand. Everything must be shared and must be a shared responsibility. And both sides need to give a little. If you've ever heard that marriage is 50-50, somebody lied to you. I don't think my marriage has ever been 50-50. I think there's been times when it's been 60-40 or maybe 55-45. But a lot of times, it's 70-30. Rhea may be down sick or has a migraine, and I have to watch the kids. So at that point, it's 80-20. She needs, she needs all of it, and I just a little. Sometimes it's the other way around where I've come down with something. I've got something going on here at church that I just... Sunday is for ministers' wives. If you didn't realize this, Sundays for ministers' wives are like 90-10. So the wives put up with a lot for ministers. A lot. Because when the husband is at church getting ready for Sunday morning, she's got all the kids by herself. She's got to get them dressed up, bathed up, ready to go in a car and to the church and try and keep them from terrorizing the entire place when they get here. It's never 50-50. See, pride says my spouse should give up everything so that I can have everything I want. But that's not marriage. 
That's slavery. And it's not what God intended for marriage. The fourth area and the most important, where I think pride most affects us, is when it comes to our faith. Like I said earlier, pride turns us into our own God. We want to sit around and look at all the things that make us great. We want to make sure to post everything we do on social media because we like it when people like what we're doing and we believe that they should like it. We walk tall knowing that we are awesome and everyone around us is better for being around us. Unfortunately, here's what that does to our faith. Here's what that does to our faith. If we're already that awesome, we don't need God. If I'm that capable of making my life incredible and the life of those around me incredible, there's no need or place for God in that. When we start believing our own press, we start seeing less and less of a need for God in our lives. You don't believe it. Look at athletes in major sports and actors and actresses who started out as Christians and then have completely walked away from their faith because they were awesome. Nothing could be better than them. When we start believing our own press, we start seeing less and less of God in our lives. How could he possibly make our lives better for ourselves than we already do? Like Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. Living a prideful life will destroy your relationship with God. So let me ask you this question. We've talked about all the bad things about pride. And uh, I feel bad if you're sitting here feeling really guilty right now. Let's, let's talk about the cure for pride. What is the cure for pride? What is the chemotherapy for this cancer? Well, the answer is really simple, and it's humility. What does the Bible say about humility? Matthew 23, 5 through 12 says, Everything they do is done for everyone to see. Now, he's talking about the Pharisees right here. He says, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And you're probably going, phylacteries and tassels? Just think the fancy outfits they wore. We'll just go with that for now. We can, we can, that could be a whole other sermon too, but they, they want to make sure that everybody sees the fancy stuff they're wearing. Uh, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and you do not call anyone on earth father. You have one father, and he is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Also in Philippians 2, 3 through 11, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value yourselves, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And I want you to listen to this part, because this is, this is the part that blows my mind every time I read it. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven on earth and, ev- and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can go ahead in the band, you want to come on back up. Uh, in the first scripture, we see a picture of the Pharisees. We see men who loved being loved. They just loved being admired and adored. They desired honor from others, expecting it at all times. They wanted recognition at every turn. They wanted a special title. And they wouldn't answer to anything else. Immediately, Jesus walks all over that. He didn't want his disciples carrying special titles or to be seen as higher than others. He wanted them to be seen as brothers and sisters. In the second scripture, we see a true picture of Christ himself. And even though he was one with the Father, he still couldn't fathom being equal with God. He even lowered himself from heaven to be among us, live like us, and suffer like us. And it was through his humility that he was honored and placed in the highest place. Humility doesn't make you lower. It makes you equal. And let me say that again real quick. Humility doesn't make you lower. It makes you equal. When you see everyone as equal, regardless of position, we can truly be a servant. When we lead humbly, people long to follow. When we love humbly, our relationships grow stronger. And when we work humbly, our work matters. As Jesus led, we lead. As Jesus taught, we teach, and as Jesus lived, we live. But I want to point out one thing here. Just be careful not to allow your humility to make you think you're more pious than others. Satan is the king of taking something holy and twisting it into sin. One of my favorite Will Smith movies is The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, It's the story of Chris Gardner, a man who had hit rock bottom, even at one point having to sleep overnight in a bathroom with his son because they were so broke. Well, Chris scores an internship with the investing firm Dean Witter and eventually a full-time position with the company. Throughout the entire movie, Gardner works through his difficult position, through poverty, and through raising his son after his wife left him to find amazing success while setting his future and the future of his son into motion. But one of my favorite parts of the movie is a very small part of the movie, and it's really easy to miss, but I think it speaks a lot to what we're talking about today. His son looks at him. They're walking down the street, and his son Christopher says, Hey, Dad, you want to hear something funny? There was a man who was drowning, and a boat came, and the man in the boat said, Do you need help? And the man said, God will save me. Then another boat came, and he tried to help him, but the man said, God will save me. Then he drowned and went to heaven. Then the man told God, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you two big boats, you dummy. Don't be blinded by your piety and your pride of humility. Yes, I said that, pride of humility. I am so humble. I am so good at being humble. That's obviously not humility. 
But there's so many people that find pride in their humility. They find pride in being humble. And what they've just done is they've destroyed their humility. (laughs) They've destroyed this opportunity to be humble. See, God is a provider. He's a healer and he restores. Sometimes he does it in ways that, that we don't see. When I was a young minister, a man shook my hand after a worship service and he did the whole thing where he shakes your hand and when he pulls it away, he left a $50 bill in my hand. Now, I refused to keep it and I insisted he take it back. I told him I didn't need his money and I didn't feel right taking it. And that man never spoke to me again. I talked to my dad about this. He was in ministry for 30 some plus years and uh, he told me, don't ever refuse someone when they're blessing you. That may, they may never bless anyone ever again. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. He, he was taking his own hard-earned money that he, that he needed. And he was investing it in a young minister. He was investing it in me. And instead of taking his gift... I turned him down. He was frustrated. He might have been a little bit embarrassed. Who knows? That might have been the first time he ever tried to do that. And he had to bring up the nerve just to do it. And my pride got in the way of that investment. So I want to ask you the question, are there people in your lives who are wanting to invest in you? They want to bless you, but you're too prideful to allow it. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Just be sure to be a cheerful receiver as well. And don't remove the joy of giving from somebody. When someone is cheerfully giving, there's nothing worse than a prideful, refusing receiver. Don't let your pride of humility get in the way of God's blessing. I'll ask you one last question as we get ready to wrap all of this up. What will you invest in? Will you invest in ministry? In family, the church, are you going to invest in your own faith? Will you invest in humility and see others as, as others as equals? Or will you invest in pride? This is a huge, huge decision. Do you continue to live with cancer or do you treat it? Your investments will affect not only your future, but the future of your family. And the only thing I can promise you is that when you invest in pride, you will always go broke. Today we have an opportunity to invest in others. There are people in our church every, every day that are struggling to get by. Bills aren't getting paid. Cars break down. Things happen, and we have the opportunity once a month to give to help that out. We call this dollar days. And all we ask is that everybody gives one dollar. No more, just one dollar. And we take that $1, we put it all together. It never even goes into our bank account. And we give that money to someone in our church who is in need. We get the opportunity to allow them to be a cheerful receiver, and we get the opportunity to be a cheerful giver. Now, I've talked to people before, and there have been some people who have questioned, why are we doing this? Shouldn't people be able to take care of themselves? And all I can say is read Acts chapter 3. You know, get in the Bible and just read what the church did. 
because what the church did was take care of each other. And this is one of the ways we get to do that as a church. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, the guys are going to come up. And like I said, if everybody will just give one dollar, this is the opportunity for us to bless somebody. And as we're doing that, we're going to have the opportunity to worship our way out of this service. So would you guys stand with me as we pray? And we'll go into our giving time in just a moment. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have right now to model humility, God, to see others as equals through giving to help others out. God, I pray that everyone in this room, if they're struggling with pride, God, help us all to lay that aside and model humility. God, I pray that we all that we all understand how dangerous the sin of pride really is and that we don't invest anymore in it. God, right now we want to invest in others. So please accept this gift. Father, I pray that we are able to bless somebody enormously. Father, you're so good. We love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.